Do you always have good judgment? If I could count all the times I had poor judgment. I've shared with you many of my times of poor judgment. I don't think I've shared this one with you. There was a time that I had access to a four-wheel drive Wrangler, Jeep Wrangler. And I really enjoyed this vehicle very much, and it was through that that I had a love for four-wheeling and got to see what four-wheel drives can do. I remember being taken out several times with people in their Jeep Wrangler and going up banks that I never thought you could go up in a vehicle. In fact, we couldn't scramble up on foot, uh, and we thought this was an impossibility. It was very much like this balcony here, and was virtually, it got to where it was almost straight up. And uh, I remember on one of these expeditions standing there looking at that, and it looked like a road that went up. And I made the mistake <laughs> of asking, do people actually go up that? And he said, hop in. He said, no, I got a better idea. First, I want you to see if you can climb up it. So we all make fools of ourselves on this shale trying to climb up. Nobody can climb up it. No, 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 no. Now hop in. Okay, here we go. And I remember that at the start of this, I mean, it was about as high as that is, and it went straight up. And on the other side of over here, there was a, a cliff. I'm not really being dramatic. There was the interstate right down here. I still tell my kids that was the place. So there's a cliff back here. There's a little run at it, maybe as much as this, maybe less. And we go after it, put it in four, and, and we don't make it. And I'm waiting for us to do this. And we come skidding back down. Just wait a minute. And we still come back down. I'm going to die. <laughs> then on the third attempt, I don't know if he put it in low or what he did. He had to get the gears figured out. Got a little bit more rev that he needed. Maybe it was in second low. I don't remember. I was just looking at this place straight up that we were going to go, thinking, this isn't going to happen. We're going to die. Why am I in this vehicle? And he goes after it again. <laughs> And the front tires just barely go over the edge. And those four-wheeler enthusiasts know what I'm talking about. And when those front two top tires just barely got over the top, we just crawled right up. And we thought, well, man, that wasn't so bad. That almost seemed easy. Which leads me to another story of poor judgment. When I was in the, the, the Wrangler that I had access to, and I had it full of people in the car, and we were going someplace on a Sabbath afternoon, and part of that was a gravel drive, and there was this rutted road going up, and it was pretty steep, but it was nothing like that. And I said, let's go up there. And somebody said, well, can we go up there? And I said, hop in. <laughs> you obviously don't know what a four-wheel drive can do. Hop in. I'd never been on this road before, but that doesn't so much matter when you don't have good judgment. Jeep is full. We're going up. No problem. 
you know, I'm picking my route, I'm avoiding different things, and then there's some ruts. No problem, I know what to do with ruts. You don't get in the ruts. And so I'm beside the ruts, and I'm straddling the ruts, and the ruts get bigger and bigger, and the walls get higher and higher until there's no place to go except slide down into these ruts that are, I don't know, this, this tall? And the bottom of my Jeep is bottoming out and scraping. And then before I know it, it's zzz, zzz. Why are you laughing? You know that's not a good sign. A good sound, I should say. Zzz, zzz. Are we stuck? Stop talking. I'm concentrating here. Put in reverse. Make a little traction. What are we going to do? Well, suffice it to say, eventually, we scraped and bumped and made our way back down the road to which I was a little bit red-faced and embarrassed. Can we go up there? Hop in. Yeah. Do you always have... Those of you laughing, do you always have good judgment? I came across this this week. It says, a successful man was asked the secret of his accomplishments. His reply was, good judgment. Well, where did you get good judgment? He was asked. From experience. And from where did you gain your experience? He said, from poor judgment. Maybe some of the wisest people here in the room, well, came from poor judgment, but I have better judgment now. I've learned from my mistakes. We took quite a pause, if you will, from this series on Elijah. Elijah was quite the man, filled with courage and humility, a dependence upon God, it can be easy to put him on a pedestal as superhuman. But then it's the brother of Jesus who reminds us in his book, James chapter 5, verse 17, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, like yours, like mine. He was a hero but he was also human. He had his challenges. He had his shortcomings. There were times of doubt and discouragement as we will see more fully in today's peace. But I am thankful, and maybe you are too, that this portion we're going to look at today is included in the story of Elijah. It could have been edited and airbrushed out of the story, but it's not. And time and again, we see in Scripture, and as it paints the entire picture of these Bible characters, yes, the heroic things they do, their times of courage and faith and trust in the Lord, but also their weaknesses and their frailties. And it's going to be for the next few weeks that we're going to look at this weakness of Elijah. And it's not to throw anyone under the bus. Because I think all of us can relate. All of us have had our moments of triumph. And all of us have had our moments, well, not so triumphant. But hopefully we can learn some lessons 
along the way. So it started with this prayer, I believe. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, but he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. Lord, you have to do something. Your people are departing. Please, you need to act. And he prayed and he prayed and he interceded. And God said, okay, I'll allow this sign to take place. It will not rain on the land for three years and six months. And so Elijah went, according to the Lord, and gave a bold message to the king. And then he was told to depart. And we talked earlier on how there was this season of isolation where he was alone by the brook Cherith for many months, and God provided for him there. We spent some time talking about the call to go and to leave that place of safety. We talked about the miracle of provision yet again for the widow of Zarephath. We talked about an incredible reunion as her boy dies and is brought back to life. And then in the last time that we spoke of Elijah together, we saw how God's name was vindicated in a marked and powerful and very public way. How it was very clearly contrasted between the false God and the true God. And God was vindicated. At the end of the day, there was a signal victory on Mount Carmel. And who did he use? But the one man, Elijah. And so in this piece, part six, we're looking at when depression sees the prophet. And before we get there, we're going to back up and kind of finish, and it will help us bring back the highlight, the high point, the mountaintop experience of Mount Carmel. But we never read in chapter 18, verses 41 and onward, and so we'll look at that. The fire comes down from heaven. The people yell, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. They slay the prophets of Baal. And then in verse 41, it says, Then Elijah said to Ahab, Go up, eat and drink, for there is sound of abundance of rain. Did Elijah hear anything? Did he see anything? As we'll keep reading, we'll find out he did not. But by faith, he knows. That God's going to be faithful to his promise. Verse 42, so Ahab went up to eat and drink, and Elijah went to the top of Carmel, and then he bowed down on the ground and put his face between his knees. This is a posture of humility. Verse 43, and he said to his servant, go up now and look toward the sea. And so he went and he looked. He said, there's nothing. And he did it again. He prayed some more. Go look. Again, nothing, and again, and then nothing, and again, and still nothing. Finally, and seven times he said, go again. And then it came to pass the seventh time that he said, there is a cloud, as small as a man's hand, rising out of the sea. And Elijah knew what this meant. He says, this is it. This is enough. So he said, go up and say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. It's going to be so much rain that it's going to clog up the roads with mud and everything else. You'll never be able to get there. This storm is going to be a big storm. You need to leave and you need to leave now. And it says in verse 45, Now it happened in the meantime that the sky became black with clouds and wind and there was a heavy rain. So Ahab rode away and went to Jezreel, about 15, 20 miles away. 
And then the hand of the Lord came upon Elijah and he girded up his loins and he ran ahead of Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. And here we have a picture, if you will, of Elijah. And I love the picture on Elijah's face because what he has been praying for, what he's been longing for, the justification, the vindication of his God has been done. Justice has been served. The rain is falling. And now he is out front because the Spirit of the Lord has come upon him. He's leading the king. There's been a change in Israel. The Lord, he is God. The Lord is God. This is a signal victory. This is a high point in his ministry. This is what he prayed for. And so it's raining, but he's smiling through the rain. And because of the Holy Spirit that's upon him, he runs and runs and runs. But it's not the end of the story. Moving on, chapter 19, and Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. I don't know about you, but I wish Jezebel would have been there in person. I wish she would have witnessed it for herself. You might recall her father was the head of the prophets of Baal. She herself loves Baal. She's the one that introduced Baal As we read these passages, she's ultimately the king over Israel. It's not Ahab. Ahab's more the puppet figure. So Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, also how he had executed all the prophets with the sword. You're not going to believe what happened, Jezebel. Now, Elijah would have known that this conversation needed to be had. And Elijah probably had an idea in his mind how this conversation would go. I mean, after all, this is big. This is bigger than big. And if anything is going to convince her, this is going to convince her. And the Lord has done everything that, that we wanted him to do, that I wanted him to do. It's going to change her mind. She's going to turn around. She's going to have all of these witnesses. Everybody's going to tell her this thing. And we're done. We're done. There is reformation in the land. We're done. Do you ever have an idea of how God's going to work a thing out? Do you ever have a thought in your mind of how the plan is going to go? And then does God ever have a different idea of how things are going to go? Or things don't go according to your plan? It says in verse 2, Then Jezebel sent a message or messenger to Elijah saying, So let the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them. Talking about the prophets of the Baal that were executed. Life is one of them by tomorrow about this time. She's threatening him. Make it very plain and she does. And when he saw that, what does Elijah do? This man of God, this man of courage and faith who has been against incredible odds, who the Lord has protected time after time after time after time. Well, he falls to his knees and he says, Lord, I need your protection again. And the Lord sends protection and is that how it reads in your Bible? 
Is there a conversation between he and God? Verse 3, when he saw that, he arose and ran for his life. Now this is on the heels of this great, huge, big thing. But he's now running for his life. He's a fugitive on the run. His tail is between his legs and he's scurrying out of town. Is this the same character? Is this the same figure? And if so, what happened? How did it come to this? To Beersheba is about 95 miles away. And it gives us a few more details. And he went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah. So he's leaving Israel. He's going down to the country of Judah. And then it says, and he left his servant there. Probably a trusted friend. But he leaves his friend there in town. And then he runs further, totally isolating himself. It's an interesting phenomenon of human nature when we're discouraged and the need of encouragement of others. Oftentimes we do the opposite. We isolate ourselves. And that's just what Elijah does. He travels another day journey into the wilderness. Spirit prophecy suggests that after the great display on Mount Carmel, Elijah thought Jezebel would no longer have influence over King Ahab. He was wrong. He thought it would start a reformation across the land. He was wrong. And when things did not go according to the way he thought that they should, he runs for his life. Before we come down hard on Elijah, how often do we do the exact same thing? How many times... Has God worked mightily in our life and we have seen his hand visibly leading but then something doesn't go according to what we expect? The resolution we anticipate does not come to pass and it seems like just in a snap of the finger all of our faith is extinguished. How many times do we read the promises of the Bible and they feel like they're for someone else but they're not for me? That God protects others but somehow I don't make the cut. I'm too unworthy to claim the promises of God. I'm too small to be noticed by God. And God's larger purpose has already been achieved. I'm just, I'm a nothing in this whole thing. I'm just going to run. What should have Elijah done? Well, he could have prayed. He could have asked God for direction, for guidance, for deliverance. But he runs. Prophets and Kings, page 160, it says, Elijah should not have fled from his post of duty. He should have met the threat of Jezebel with an appeal for protection to the one who had commissioned him to vindicate the honor of Jehovah. He should have told the messenger that the God in whom he trusted would protect him against the hatred of the queen. Only a few hours had passed since he had witnessed a wonderful manifestation of divine power that should have given him assurance that he was not to be forsaken. And this is pretty remarkable. Had he remained where he was, had he made God his refuge and strength, standing steadfast for the truth, he would have been shielded from harm. 
the Lord would have given him another signal victory by sending his judgments on Jezebel and the impression made on the king and the people would have brought a great reformation. He thought he'd seen the best of the best and it was done and God had another plan and he said, this is gonna be another signal victory. Is it possible this could have been a greater, a larger signal victory? That this was just the precursor to what was gonna lead to something even bigger and better? Had he remained, had he made God his refuge and strength, standing steadfastly for the truth, he would have been shielded from harm. Another signal victory, a great reformation. But that's not what happened. What about in our lives? What about with our challenges? Oh, God's already done too many big things. I, I guess I don't expect him to do another. I don't want him to be overdrawn on his account. I think this time I just need to run. It makes me shudder to think. You could be, I could be on the cusp of a signal victory. Because there are still greater things that God longs to do if we remain in him, if we make God our refuge and ever-present help in all trouble, if we say that the Lord is our strength, if we stand steadfastly for the truth and in the truth, what will God do? And for some of us, we'll never know because in some situations, we haven't stayed, we haven't stood, we have run. Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher, said this, Elijah failed at the very point in which he was strongest, and that is where most men fail. Think about that for a minute. Elijah failed at the very point in which he was strongest, and that's where most men fail. In Scripture, it's the wisest man who proves himself to be the greatest fool. Who's that? Solomon. Just as the meekest man, Moses, spoke hasty and bitter words, Abraham failed in his faith and Job in his patience, so he who was the most courageous of all men fled from an angry woman. Another line, maybe you've heard it before, strengths overused become weaknesses. Strengths overused become weaknesses. Now, wait a second, I thought they were strengths. I'm a hard worker. You overuse that, you might become a workaholic. I'm good with money. You overuse that, you might just be greedy. I always am the voice of wisdom. You overuse that and you might be prideful. I'm a spiritual person. If you're not careful, you'll become pious, self-righteous, and judgmental. This idea that good things, if overused, overemphasized, can become, dare we say, an idol. And we can begin to worship the strength rather than the giver of that strength. We begin to worship the creature, not the creator, which is starting to sound a little bit too much like Lucifer's problem in the beginning. And thus far, Elijah has done everything right, but here in these few verses, in just a few verses, Elijah blows it. Verse 4. So he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree and he prayed that he might die and said, it is enough. Have you ever said that? It's enough. 
Enough is enough of enough. I've had enough. I'm done. I'm over it. Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. I'm done. It's enough. Friends, he's in the valley. He's a fugitive on the run. He's discouraged. Depression has seized him, and the devil is seizing upon his vulnerability and says, it's enough. Just let me die. Take my life. Prophets and Kings says this, page 162, into the experience of all there come times of keen disappointment and utter discouragement. Days when sorrow is the portion, it is hard to believe that God is still the kind benefactor of his earth-born children. Days when troubles harass the soul till death seems preferable to life. Have you been there? She writes that this is the experience of all at times. Oh, but a Christian's never down. They're never discouraged. They never doubt. But how can this be? When here, Sister White says that this is an experience of all. That the days will come when it is hard to believe. She doesn't say they'll stop believing, but it is hard to believe. Days when troubles harass the soul until death seems preferable to life. That's a dark place. Have you been there? I think another hero of the faith, Moses. And I think he could relate. As he writes, I'm not able to bear all these people alone because the burden is too heavy for me. Please kill me here and now. A hero of the faith? He could relate. I think Job could relate. When we find the book of Job, chapter 3, verse 3, may the day perish on which I was born. Later, he writes in chapter 6, oh, that I might have my request that God would grant me the thing that I long for, that it would please God to crush me. Chapter 7, my soul chooses strangling and death rather than my body. I loathe my life. I think Job could relate as well. What about Paul? Could he relate? He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8, we were burdened beyond measure above strength so that we despaired even of life. I think Paul could relate. But I like this quotation from Prophets and Kings, 162. It says, it is then that many lose their hold on God and are brought into the slavery of doubt and the bondage of unbelief. The slavery of doubt and the bondage of unbelief. If it comes to the heroes of the faith, we're naive to think it won't come to us. But notice the rest of this. Could we at such times discern with spiritual insight the meaning of God's providences? We should see angels seeking to save us from who? Ourselves. Our negative self-talk. Our woes me attitude. Striving to plant our feet upon a foundation more firm than the everlasting hills. And new faith, new life would spring into being. 
If we could just see with what God sees, we would see angels coming and ministering to you and to me. Later in Numbers eleven sixteen, right following what I shared before about Moses. So the Lord said to Moses, gather me 70 men of the elders of Israel. Bring them to the tabernacle of meeting that they may stand there with you. You're not going to be alone. Then I will come down and talk with you there. I will take of the spirit that is upon you and I will put the same upon them and they shall bear the burden of the people with you that you may not bear it yourself alone. Ministering angels. He did it with Job. As later Job could write, Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Could we at such times discern this with spiritual insight? I believe we'd see ministering angels seeking to save Job. He did it with Paul. And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. For my strength, God says, is made perfect in weakness. Could we see at such times and discern with spiritual insight, we'd see ministering angels sent down to minister to Paul. And he says, therefore, most gladly, I would rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasures in infirmities and reproaches and needs and persecutions in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I'm strong. Alice, where are you? Is she down here somewhere? I love to hear her little voice read those words. Brought tears to my eyes. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Ministering angels. Could we at such times discern with spiritual insight the meaning of God's providence as we should see angels seeking to save us from ourselves, striving to plant our feet upon a foundation more firm than the everlasting hills. A new faith, a new life would spring into being. And he didn't just do it for Moses. He didn't just do it for Job. He didn't just do it for Paul. He did it for Elijah too. As we read in verse five, then he lay and slept under a broom tree and suddenly an angel touched him and said to him arise and eat then he looked and there by his head was a cake baked on coals and a jar of water so he ate and drank and lay down again Elijah's exhausted He's run all day, all night, continuously. Some 100 miles to get to this place. He's exhausted, and so he takes a little nourishment. He takes some water, and then he goes back to sleep. Verse 7, then the angel of the Lord. Other places in Scripture, when Hagar leaves, it's an angel of the Lord, and later on we see that she describes this as the incarnate Christ. There's other places in Scripture, Moses and the burning bush, an angel of the Lord. We get this impression that it's the incarnate Christ that meets Moses there. Could it be that this angel of the Lord is the incarnate Christ? 
ministering to his servant, to his prophet? Whether this is Jesus or whether this is an angel sent by Jesus, either way, the communication is the same. Elijah, you're not alone. You're not alone. I'm here. And, you know, we know these stories so well that we think, you know, he calls down fire from heaven and it consumes everything. And then there's this huge thing that happens. And then he ducks tail and runs. And God says, what are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here? This is not part of the plan. Wake up, man. You're ruining things. That's not what I just read here. Yes, those words come. But they come later. And it's certainly not in the tone you just heard me say them. First, he ministers to Elijah. He brings him food and drink. Allows him to sleep. We've had a lot of food brought to our house. There's something powerful in a warm meal. A warm bowl of soup. Some fresh baked bread something to drink, and you don't have to worry about any of it. You just rest. And it's not just for physical restoration. It's for emotional restoration, for spiritual restoration. It's powerful. And so the second time, the angel of the Lord came back and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for you. Verse 8, so he arose and ate and drank, and he went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. Now pause right there, lest you think God is saying, okay, second meal, it's time to get back on your feet, we got work to do, let's go, let's go. But that's because we read the stories too fast. What does it say? The journey is too great for you. What journey? Where's he going? He's going to Horeb, the mountain of God. Where is Horeb, the mountain of God? It's none other than the same Mount Sinai. That's what we know it as. He's not going back to work. He's not going back to engage with King Ahab. He's going to meet with God. And he says, I want you to take this food and this nourishment, and for 40 days you're going to travel. Some 200 miles. Man, that's a long day, long ways. Well, if you divide it by 200, sorry, if you divide it by 40 days, 200 miles by 40 days, that's five miles a day. What's he been doing lately? 15, 20 miles here, 100 miles there, all in, in, in high speed, fast, boom, 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 boom. No, God is saying, Elijah, I want you to take some nourishment. Elijah, I want you to get up because the journey is long, but I'm going to walk it with you and we're not going to go these huge distances all at once we're going to go five miles a day how long does it take you to go five miles some of you are going to do that this afternoon we're just going to go five miles a day i'm going to walk it with you and we're going to spend 40 days why 40 days 40 days is this period of time that god is laboring with his people Moses goes to the same mount, perhaps the same cave where Elijah will end up, and he labors with his people and sets up his covenant. Then they break the covenant and they wander in in the wilderness for 40 years. Not because the distance is so long, but he's laboring with his people. Again, he's saying, 
Elijah, I want you to walk with me. I want to, to labor with you. I want to minister to you. In the strength that I provide, I want to take not one or two or three days. I want to take 40 days and walk with you this walk. And I want to take you to another place. In fact, I want to take you out of this place where you are now. And it's a long ways from here. Some 200 miles. But don't think about that. Just walk with me. We'll just take a little bit at a time and a little bit at a time and a little bit at a time. And that will give us time to have rich and deep conversations. And I promise you, 40 days from now, you will not be anywhere close to where you are at this dark moment. And next, we'll look at the conversation, if you will, that God has with Elijah there on Mount Sinai, perhaps in the same cave where Moses was given the Ten Commandments. But first, he's taking this time to nourish and feed and minister to Elijah and bring him to a new place, a healthier place, where then, as we will see, he'll serve again. Could we at such times discern with spiritual insight? I imagine there's somebody here that they relate more to the top. They're losing their hold on God and they feel like they're brought into slavery of doubt and a bondage of unbelief. They feel stuck. They feel trapped. They don't know what to do or where to go or how to solve this thing. But could it be that if you could discern with spiritual insight the providences of God, you would see angels seeking to save you and me from ourselves. Striving to plant our feet upon a foundation more firm than the everlasting hills and a new faith and a new life would spring into being. He did it with Moses. He did it with Job. He did it with Paul. He's doing it here with Elijah. And he'll do it for you. What if you just said, I'm going to take 40 days, God. I haven't touched my Bible in I don't know how long. But I'm going to take 40 days. And I'm just going to walk a little bit every day with you. And I'm going to ask that you lead me along the way. And I would submit to you if you do that. 40 days from today, you'll be in a much different place place i like this verse in psalm 94 verse 17 to 19 unless the lord had been my help my soul would have soon been settled in silence if i say my foot slips your mercy O lord will hold me up in the multitude of my anxieties that are within me, your comforts delight my soul. Are you exhausted this morning? Are you running? Are you discouraged? Then let the God of peace minister to your soul because he loves you. You're his child and he knows right where you are right now this morning and through this message I believe he wants you to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are not alone 
that he will see you through. He'll bring you the nourishment that you need just when you need it. He'll promise to walk with you and to lead you to a better place. And like Elijah, you too will recover. I believe that's the message that God has for you, for me, for all of us. If we'll just take the challenge to take 40 days. Are you anxious? Take 40 days with God. Are you discouraged? Take 40 days with God to see if he will not give you what you need. I'm not saying don't do all those other things that you need. We could talk about how he put Elijah on an exercise program. That's good. He put him in sunlight. That's good. Keep doing all those things you know to do. Get to bed on time. Eat healthfully. Don't overwork yourself. And the list goes on. You know all those things. But this morning I'm saying do that and take 40 days. And see where God will take you. And see if he will not give you just what you need to nourish your soul and bring you back. Dear Heavenly Father, in this world, we will have trouble. There will be challenges to all. We will be discouraged at times, overwhelmed at times. But I believe the message you have for us today, if not every day, is that never do we walk this path alone. And even if the trial and the challenge is of our own making and our own lack of faith, you don't come to shame us or to guilt us, but rather, you come alongside us. You bring us nourishment and you invite us to walk with you as you lead us back into the center of your will. Lead us today, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.